Well, this is episode three of the Glimpsing uh, the Glory of God series with Jerry Bates. I'm Jonathan Sheffer. I'm the pastor of Small Groups here at Grace. And uh, today's topic is the transcendent, infinite, eternal God. Jerry, kind of lead us into what does it mean to say that God is transcendent? Okay. These transcendent, infinite, eternal, these are three different attributes of God. Uh, starting with transcendent, what do we mean, as you've said, by transcendent, uh, that God is transcendent? He is the God who created the universe. For Isaiah 42, 5 makes a real interesting statement here. He says that the Lord, Yahweh, uh, created the heavens and stretched them out. In the Hebrew, stretched them out indicates a continuous ongoing occurrence. In other words, Isaiah 42.5 is suggesting an expanding universe. Hmm. Uh, That has uh, a significant uh, impact in the scientific uh, community because that's a theory that they uh, tout very often. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, Genesis 1.1, Scripture tells us that while God created the universe, he is not part of the universe. He is not part of it. Uh, he created a universe that he intended would be dependent upon him, but he is independent mm-hmm. of his creation. Uh, and Genesis declares that he's transcendent right off the bat. That's first thing he's, we know from Genesis is that God is transcendent. He is above, or if you will, he is outside of his creation. And what's interesting, if you begin to look at all the other ancient stories uh, that are contemporaneous with Genesis, um, the pagan ideas mm-hmm. of creation. Genesis is the only creation story uh, or the only um, description of creation that declares God is transcendent. Hmm. All the other uh, ancient belief systems, uh, creation stories, God is always part of the creation, dependent on the creation. God may be created from another God. Hmm. Uh, they have all kinds of ideas. That that led directly into the idea of polytheism. Sure. Um, and where they came up with so many gods. They did not understand that God was transcendent. Well, how would Moses know that? Because God told him. Mm-hmm. You know, Moses himself would not have concluded on his own uh that God was transcendent, but it was revealed to Moses that God is is transcendent. Um, In fact, it is the fact that Genesis uh, tells us that God is transcendent, that uh, it's that fact on which modern science is based. Uh, You know, it's no coincidence that some of the earlier scientists, like Galileo, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kepler, Faraday, we're Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, now, modern science today doesn't want to acknowledge that that's the basis of science. Uh, but it is. Um, they've lost that understanding uh, today because of an embracing of, uh, of evolution, which uh, is direct defiance of the existence of God. Uh, remember back in the early 60s, uh, a Russian cosmonaut was shot into space, and when he came back, uh, he was surrounded by the news media because obviously this was a new thing for mm-hmm. everybody. And so he arrogantly declared that when he went into space, he didn't see God. Hmm. 
Well, C.S. Lewis' response to that was, of course he didn't. That would be like Hamlet going into his attic to look for Shakespeare. <laughs> Uh, because Shakespeare would be transcendent yeah, outside of, of Hamlet's yeah. world because he created Hamlet, but he's not part of Hamlet's world. And God is that way with us, with our, with the universe. But just like Shakespeare could enter in and change the story, God, and does, enter into our world and change the story. Exactly. But because he's transcendent, modern science works because God has created these laws for the universe to work. And unless God changes the law, that law, we know will work. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, the That's why science is functional, because mm-hmm. God in his, his omniscience and power, as a transcendent God, created uh, laws that s- systematically function. And science is, a, is really a, a profession of observation and, and determination from observation, and God set it up that way. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean God can't. Uh, come in and uh, you know a miracle would be setting aside temporarily one of the functions of those laws right and yeah he can do that he's capable of doing that because it's his universe and we see Jesus doing that on many occasions where through the power of, of God the Father he creates loaves and fishes to appear where there weren't loaves and fishes before that That's started right. yeah. and, and we see that um, coming into our world but keep going I, I'm, I'm, I'm into this okay well um once you get beyond, he's not only transcendent, uh, but he is also infinite and eternal. Now, when we talk about infinite, uh, we are finite, but he is infinite. And this is really a, a very uh, wonderful attribute of, of God, that, that he is infinite. Uh, in other words, what we're saying is he's an absolute being, and he's not uh, derived from something else, or and he is dependent on nothing else or any pre-existent condition, uh, and we get that from Acts uh, uh, 5, uh, 24 through twenty-five, and Job forty-one eleven. Uh, the Lord's statement to Moses in Exodus that his name was "I am that I am" mm-hmm. uh, is a statement that he is infinite. Uh, he is, I am that I am. In other words, he is self-existent. Mm-hmm. He is not dependent on anything else. Uh, and that's a, that is really that name that he has is a, a tremendous name. Uh, he doesn't need anything or anyone. And he did not create man because he needed someone to love. Mm. Uh, and we'll get into that in a little more depth when you get into the Trinity. Um, but the fact that he is love is proof that of the Trinity. But we'll get into that mm-hmm. another time. That but um, and here's here's that really exciting and wonderful aspect of fact that he is infinite. Infinite also means unlimited, mm-hmm. which means that uh, he is his righteousness is unlimited, his love, his compassion, his mm-hmm. mercy is unlimited. Uh, you, you get that from Lamentations 3, mm-hmm. uh, 20, what, 2 and 23. The mercies of God uh, are when never end. Morning, the yeah. compassions never come to an end. Mm-hmm. They are new every morning. That's an aspect of this attribute of God that is infinite. His mercies never come to mm-hmm. an end. He is, he is unlimited in his love, in his mercy. He's unlimited in his purity, 
in his holiness mm-hmm. and his righteousness. That's a wonderful aspect. That's that. wonderful. Uh, his resources never come to an end. You know, I know my kids sometimes feel like I've run out of energy for them. And just to think that God never runs out of energy, never runs out of a listening ear. Uh, he never runs out of attention span. He's always ready to interact with us and talk to us. And 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 I think that's an amazing aspect of God's character. Yeah, he is. I uh, said last time that he is a qualitatively different order of being from us. Yeah. Uh, in fact, um, uh, we are his creation. Uh, he is, you could it this way, he is infinitely different from yeah, us. Right. Uh, and he not only needs nothing from his creation, he cannot need anything from his creation because of who he is from an infinite standpoint. And it would be helpful to say, well, he's kind of like this. Um, you know, like he's kind of, but all the illustrations trying to describe God who's uniquely different than anything else break down somewhere. And so we just have to take him at his word uh, when he describes himself to us. And he is the I am that um, there, there is no illustration of God's kind of like this because he's the one and only God mm. in the universe. Yeah. And you notice that this, these aspects, if you will, and that doesn't do it justice, is these attributes of God are, seem to work so much in tandem. with mm-hmm. He's transcendent. Because he is, he's also infinite. Mm-hmm. One could say he's infinite, therefore he's transcendent. But again, and he's eternal. Infinite and eternal. They're like uh, two gloves locked together, you know, two hands locked together, two sides of the same, different sides of the yeah. same coin in a way. If you will, I remember, I believe it was, um, I was reading um, Hugh Ross's book, The Fingerprint of God, and he made the statement that in the 18th century, Immanuel Kant uh, made this, uh, believed and taught that the universe itself, the creation, mm-hmm. was infinite and eternal. And scientists latched onto that idea because if the universe is infinite and eternal then it has no beginning Mm -hmm. and therefore no beginner Uh, but Einstein's theory of relativity undermined that idea and even Einstein himself was not happy with that (laughs) uh, fact and they kept trying every way they could to prove that Kant was right Mm-hmm. But uh, according to Hugh Ross in the 1990s, science was forced to conclude uh, that the universe is in fact finite. And if it's finite, it's not eternal. Mm-hmm. And if it has a beginning, it has an end. Mm-hmm. And if it has a beginning, it has a beginner. So that <laughs> that gives them all kinds of problems. The difference between Eternal and immortal is immortal is an aspect of eternal, but our spirits are eternal, mm-hmm. and angels are. I'm sorry, our spirits are immortal. Our spirits are immortal, yeah. And angels are immortal. In other words, they don't die. But we angels and men have a beginning. Right. We are not eternal. God had no beginning. God has no end. And one of the things that I ran into a lot, you know, when I was in the workplace or at the university was. People saying, well, your your belief system, because you follow Jesus, you're just doing that based on faith. But then I, I would turn around and say, well, but if you are an atheist and you believe that everything around us and matter itself, you know, all the stuff that makes the universe is eternal, well, that's based on faith, too. And mm-hmm. so there really isn't a, a way of living that isn't based on faith because every... 
um, system which you choose to to live by, that's a faith choice to live by that system. And so um, one of the things that really, I think, helps some of my my fellow uh, students I was talking with is saying, you know, I, I think it takes a lot less faith to believe that there's an intelligent God of the universe who put this into motion than believing that everything around us and the order and beauty that we see is all just a, a, an accident that just happened this way. Mm-hmm. You know, C.S. Lewis was an atheist before he was a believer. Mm-hmm. And Lewis one time made the statement, I love C.S. Lewis incidentally, but Lewis one time made the statement, somebody asked him, um, well, as a Christian, don't you have doubts? Hmm. And Lewis said, yeah, I have doubts, mm-hmm. but they're nothing like the doubts I had as an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably a good way to think of it. Uh, Psalm 90, um, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, mm. even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Mm. A tremendous statement of his eternality. And I, I think we would say there's a lot of diversity of exactly the mechanics of how God created the earth and how God created the world. But I think in Christendom, we ought to say that Jesus affirmed that God was the creator of the universe. And so we need to affirm, because Jesus affirmed that, that God is the creator of the universe. Oh, you're absolutely right. And uh, in fact, Jesus more than affirmed, uh, he did affirm that, and Paul affirms this in Colossians about Jesus. Uh, it's a tremendous passage. Uh, it's worth meditating on for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks. Uh, Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn mm-hmm. of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So what that that's there's a there's some mysterious things stated in that verse, uh, where he says, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, visible or invisible. Hmm. In other words, that would suggest that creation consists of many more dimensions than we understand. Hmm. Uh, it's a very interesting yeah. verse. Uh, but Jesus is the one, you know, who is God the Son. He He is... The word that was spoken forth yeah. in that creative process. You know, I think uh, some of our struggles that we do have in understanding God come from us, you know, sitting in, in, in church, sitting with our Bibles. And I think we have this tendency to forget his transcendence uh-huh. and make him too much like a human, too much like us. Exactly. Um, what are some ways that you have noticed that man tries to make God uh, more accessible by, by maybe overly humanizing him? Um, one of the things I think the mistake we, we make is we try to uh, put ourselves in the position of God. Hmm. Um, we um, bring him down to our level by assuming that he would react to certain things the way we would react to certain mm-hmm. things. You know? uh, I used to like to play tennis, and I'd make a shot, and I'd say, well, I got him this time. I'd get it over the net, and yeah. I'd say, I got him this time. They won't return that. And pow, here it comes back. <laughs> you know? yeah. And what I'm doing is I am assuming that my opponent has is on my level. Right. 
And we do that all the time. We think God is on our level. Uh, we know what we would do if we mm-hmm. were in a certain situation or confronted with certain things. Uh, or if we get angry because we've been offended, uh, we think God is angry along with us. Mm-hmm. He sees it the way we see it. And in fact, no. In fact, it says his spirit is grieved mm. uh, when we are that way. But that I think the way we most often... Uh, humanize him is by um, making him, seeing him the way we would see ourselves. I He's see not that. just a bigger version of us. Yeah, I uh, see that all the time with timing of God's response. Oh, yeah. Where, yeah. where we think, okay, God is absolutely going to respond in this time frame because I would. I mean, wouldn't any person like me do that? And God's timing being very different um, than our timing in a situation. We see that in Revelation where. We've got all these people that have been wronged, killed for their faith. Right. And they go to God and say, how long will you delay in righting this wrong? And, and we just see that that God is a transcendent God who has not forgotten the injustices and definitely will come back and, and make that right because he is a just God, but his timing is very different than ours. One of the reasons he says vengeance is mine, I will repay, is because we are... Um, not omniscient, and mm-hmm. so we don't know all the facts. Mm-hmm. He's the only one that can judge properly because he knows all the facts. Somebody offends you, God knows what that person was like, mm-hmm. what caused them to be the way they are, the tragedies and the difficulties they had. The whole story. Up. We don't know those things. Yeah. He knows those things. and so, But we tend to assume certain things for him mm-hmm. that aren't so. The Bible deals uh, in um, frequently, particularly in Psalms, but throughout Scripture with what's called anthropomorphisms, Mm -hmm. which is a great word if you're playing Scrabble. (laughs) You get a lot of points for that one. Yeah, you probably win the game. Uh, But what it's really talking about is that it is, in a sense, analogizing human characteristics to God. Mm -hmm. His ear... His, the eye of God is upon you. His, right. his ears are open to the cries of the righteous. Uh, Psalm 34. His right hand. His, his right hand mm-hmm. uh, or his feet or his legs. God doesn't have those things. He's spirit. He mm-hmm. doesn't have a physical body. He doesn't have eyes in the way that we think of it or ears. But the scripture there is not trying to make God into a human being. Mm-hmm. The scripture is analogizing human characteristics in order to help us understand him better. Yeah. Uh, because we are. We're grasping with a being who is not at all like us. Mm. Uh, there are other times the scripture will analogize him to a bird mm-hmm. or a hen. You know, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The end of Matthew 23, how I've longed to gather you under my wings as chicks. Or it will talk about um, God will, in Psalms, will cover you with his pinions, Mm -hmm. with his feathers. God didn't have wings. Mm -hmm. He didn't have feathers. What is the scripture trying to say? It's trying to give us a picture of God's instinct to protect us, his Mm -hmm. desire God didn't have instincts either, incidentally. <laughs> but it's, it's, trying to, it's trying to show us yeah. God's desire for his people to protect them, to stand with them, uh, to provide for them, because he made his universe to be dependent on him. 
And I think this is where we kind of come back to when we're speaking about God to people. We need to make sure that we don't speak too strongly unless we're coming from his words to us. And so we need to not speak, you know, this is how God is unless we're pulling that from how, what God has said about himself. Um, Because otherwise um, I think we all have that tendency of making um, God too much like us, even though we're made in his image. um, The, the real, the real truth is that he is the one who speaks the best about himself and we will spend the rest of our eternity really learning the truth uh, behind his character. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's a, uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Mm-hmm. Lean not on your own understanding. Well, what's underneath the surface when you lean on your own understanding is you are trying to figure out things that you don't know all the facts. Yeah. But you're also in danger of trying to make him think like you. Mm-hmm. And it really hampers your prayer life. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Well, thank you very much for sharing this with us, Jerry. You're welcome.